You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey, you guys, this is Rick Hadrava once again with another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. You know, it's been an interesting time and um, I've been thinking about today's guest for, for quite a while. I got to know him over the last several years and both from a working relationship and on a personal level. And really, I've learned a lot from him, um, but enjoyed getting to know him and his family and uh, learn more about the work that he does. And so I, I think it's interesting today to bring Mark Funky to the Epic Studios via a phone call where we can learn a little bit about his background, uh, his thoughts on what we see today from the banking aspects, and also his experience in working with entrepreneurs uh, as we go forward. So without further ado, that's short and sweet the way we like it. Let's get right to the conversation by welcoming today's guest, Mark Funky. Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our visit this morning. Well, you bet. Well, listen, why don't you give our audience, maybe those of you, those of you out there in our audience that don't know Mark Funky, Mark, why don't you give us a little background? How, how, did, how long were you in banking and when did that all start for you? Well, my banking career really started in college. I was encouraged by my uncle who was in banking to, uh, to find a job, and I did, and I became a teller. I was a teller for three years while I was going to college, and uh, the interaction with the people and just the, the whole idea of how bankers worked in the communities and, and worked with clients and customers was very intriguing to me. So when I got out of school, I ended up taking a job in Houston with what was uh, – then a bank that eventually became Bank of America, but at the time it was called Houston National Bank, and I worked there for six years. I was a, uh, went through an 18-month training program with them and then got put on a platform out in the lobby uh, making loans to small businesses and getting to know a lot, of, a lot of folks. And during that time in Houston from 77 to 83 was a very unique time. It was a boom time in the oil business, and Houston was growing, and it was a, a really – a fun environment to become a banker. Uh, I got, I wanted to get back closer to my roots, which are from Oklahoma or from Kansas. And I moved to Tulsa and I went to work for Bank of Oklahoma. And I spent, uh, spent 28 years with Bank of Oklahoma, a few, first few in Tulsa. And then the last about 25 in Oklahoma City. And I uh, was with BOK when they were a billion dollars and uh, left BOK when they were about $28 billion. So I got to see a lot do a lot with that organization, but I guess my uh, kind of entrepreneurial spirits got, got the best in me, and I decided I need to, needed to do something a little bit different, so I left that large corporate environment, and I took on a role as uh, CEO of what was then Southwest Bank Corp., which was the parent company of Stillwater National Bank and Bank of Kansas and, and um, the S&B Group in Texas, spent the next seven years with that organization, and ultimately... I uh, went through a merger with the Simmons organization out of Little Rock, Arkansas, merged uh, Southwest Bank Corp in with Simmons, and spent the last couple of years with the Simmons organization making sure that that merger went well. So, Rick, over a 42-year period, I've, I've uh, really only had three employers, 
enjoyed each one of them a great deal and had the experience of growing up in a banking environment, seeing good times and bad times in, in Oklahoma, for sure, lots of different cycles, and then uh, was fortunate to be CEO of a public company, which was really the best seven years of my life. Best seven, and that's, that's an interesting comment. Why would you say that, Mark? Oh, you know, I, you, you work in an environment like, like I was for 28 years in a big corporate environment, and you learn a lot about uh, how, how, how companies run and, and uh, different kind of bosses and that sort of thing, and you begin to form your own skill set about what, what you think is the right thing to do and how to do it. And when I had the opportunity to leave uh, an organization that I really loved, uh, and, and take on a role of being CEO of a company that at the time I took over uh, certainly had some, some issues. They'd been through some difficult times uh, in 2009, 10, and 11, and, and uh, the bank really needed some changes. And so it, I got to use the skill set that I'd learned over the years, good and bad, to, to try and take that organization to a different level. And I think the team that we put together rallied around and did exactly that. We we did all the right things for the shareholders, and it was really the most rewarding experience that I had to be able to take an organization that had had, had some difficult times but had a wonderful, wonderful history, uh, and to be able to, to take it to a level that, that I, I think was the right, uh, the right direction and then ultimately merged with, uh, with a really good organization in, in Simmons. You bring up a good point. In- as somebody who spent some years inside a couple large um, financial companies, what my experience was is it was really hard to have any kind of meaningful change in a large organization. And it seemed like the larger we were, the further we got away from the customer or the client. In your view, is that a correct statement with your experience? You know, I think that as organizations grow, like like when I was uh, early in my career with uh, the BOK organization, it was a small organization uh, and it grew up and, and I got to see all the good things that that organization did over a long period of time. But as any organization gets larger, you know, you're spread out geographically, you, you have to do things a little bit differently and it's harder. Uh, it's harder to, uh, to find that community bank feel and community bank style that some some companies want and need, you know, the advantages of a really large bank or you have a, a plethora of services, uh, lots and lots of resources, but sometimes you get lost in the fray and uh, you, you, you might not feel like you're big enough to make a difference. Uh, and then in a smaller, smaller organization, sometimes you don't have the products and services that you, you really could use, but you have a banker that is really in tune with you and is, is with you all the time. So it's a, it's a really delicate balance as companies get bigger. And, and that's the same with any kind of a company. As it gets bigger, sometimes you have to silo off and do things a little differently, uh, but you, you can't lose sight of what the mission is and, and what the customer expectations are for you. So it's a delicate balance, but it's one that uh, successful companies can do. It, it's an excellent point, and it's something that I've given a lot of thought two over the career, over my career and working with business owners is you're right. If you don't have, if you can't keep the culture and the systems and the ability to keep that, that whole theme of what you're doing for the customer in the first place, as you grow and it just becomes institutionalized. And I think that that leads itself to quite a few challenges for certain organizations. Well, Mark, I want to shift to other things, but I can't help but wonder 
you've had a few years in the banking industry. As you look back, is there something that stands out like this is the biggest change I've seen in banking in my career? Does something come to your mind? Oh, uh, th- there's no question that the step off to uh, the electronic banking through uh, the mobile platforms is the biggest change that I've seen. And that, you know, that started early on, you know, back in the early, early 2000s when you started seeing, you know, when I started in banking, we didn't even, we didn't have computers even at your, at your desk when I, when I first started. Uh, but then about two years into it, we, we got our first, you know, lap, not laptops, but your first box on your desk that you could work with. But the, but the application of mobile banking where a customer can virtually do anything that they want to do banking wise from their iPhone or their iPad or at home on their computer, uh, has changed everything. It's changed the, uh, the geography. It's changed the way people think about their, their banking business. You know, a lot of people think of banking as an errand and you got to make it simple. You got to make it easy to do. And that's, that's by far been the biggest change that I've seen that's changed the whole, whole process. Interesting. And, you know, that goes back to the whole relationship part. Um, I got to imagine in banking, it becomes harder to have relationships or is it the, is it different? Is the technology allowing banking to have deeper relationships because of efficiencies that are going on with technology? Well, I think it certainly more intertwines the bank and the customer together because the more things the customer does with the bank through their mobile devices and through their interaction that way, the deeper it ties them into the organization. Now, they may not know a lot of people in the organization, but they've set up services, they've set up processes that are hard to change. I think it also causes bankers to have to be much more in tune with their customer in their offices more often, seeing them more often, talking to them uh, to maintain that relationship. But I do think that the systems that we have today, particularly for large businesses, become very complicated. That They take some work on both sides to make them work well. And um, so I think it does tie the customer a little bit more to the bank than, than perhaps it did before. Yeah. Well, you know, that's one thing that I've always been impressed with, uh, Mark, with you is – I don't see you as somebody that sits back and waits for things to happen. You you seem to always be out there in front of people and looking for ways to see what you can do to help and new opportunities. I got to think technology has helped leverage your time a little bit when it comes to banking. Let, let's shift gears a little bit because this is, there's a couple different reasons I was very interested to have you on. I, I really think it's fascinating for, well, how do I say this? From an entrepreneurial standpoint, you know, we always look at the bank one way, but you've dealt over the years, I got to imagine you've dealt with a number of small businesses, entrepreneurs, whatever we want to call them. What separates in your mind with your experience, maybe those that really thrive with those that are constantly struggling or, or coming up against challenges? You know, Rick, we talked about it a little bit and we touched on it a little bit. And I think you said the word culture. You know, I think the successful businesses that I've seen, number one, they start out with a very passionate leader, someone who absolutely believes in what they're doing. They believe that the product or services they're providing are essential and something that uh, they believe in very strongly. They have taken the opportunity to surround themselves with very high quality individuals that they trust and they're willing to let go 
they're willing to let those individuals do their thing. And, and, and typically they surround themselves with people that are a little smarter than them in a number of different categories. And the entrepreneur sort of gets out of the weeds and lets those people do their thing while constantly pushing the mission and constantly setting the culture of the organization. And that, that to me has been the separator between really good businesses and businesses that have, have struggled. Of course, you know, in an environment today, you have all sorts of outside influences that are very difficult to deal with. But the, the winners in this thing are those, those entrepreneurs that are passionate, that have good teams, that support those teams and let those teams really work hard and, and do what they're supposed to do. And, um, but the CEO's got to set the culture and uh, continue to keep the mission in front of everybody. Uh, very, very good point. And, you know, right now, that's one of the things that we're really focused on is making sure we help the business owner community um, overcome some of the obstacles, but more important, make sure they don't freeze up, right? Because that leadership is so valuable. Um, and, I, and I love that. Is, is there anything, Mark, when you think of businesses that you've dealt with in the past from other perspective that struggled is there anything that comes to your mind, you know, of really low hanging fruit kind of obstacles, we'll say, that they get stuck in that if you could really tell them, hey, you know, if I could give you some advice, this would be the advice I could give you. Does anything, anything strike you as you, as you think about that question? Well, uh, uh, a, cu- a couple of things, but I, Rick, I'm going to go back to the, the banking relationship. That, that's what I really know. I, I, I look at a business uh, as having a lot of different partners. Businesses have suppliers and all sorts of things, but they really have, in my view, three partners. They have their attorney, their accountant, and their banker. And if they embrace those three partners as partners, and I don't mean in, in an ownership sense, but, but in, a, in a way that they view them as valuable resources that they use their, um, uh, their relationships uh, to to help drive their business, I, I think those those businesses get ahead further. Uh, the the, bank, the banking relationship should for for custom for for uh, business owners, it needs to be one that's a close relationship where you can pick up the phone and you've got people you can call and talk with. You listen to them and you're not afraid to provide them the data that they need to be your advocate. Uh, bankers are advocates uh, for their customers if they have the tools to be so. And uh, the entrepreneur can give the banker those, uh, those tools to advocate for them inside the organization. So um, I, I, I think the, those are the, to, to me, entrepreneurs that embrace those three partners, and I think of the accountant and the attorney being the same kind of uh, partners for sure, uh, that, if that business owner has issues or uh, financial uh, problems or legal issues or whatever. Those are the those are the three prongs that I think hold up every business. And if they do those and work with those partners well, then their relationships with suppliers and customers will flourish. It's a good point. And you know, the flip side is it's a relationship, right? You've got to trust the people. You know, it goes back to what you said about your teams. You have to be able to trust them and and let them go and do their thing. But when that doesn't happen, that's a flip side. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. When there's a banking relationship that doesn't seem engaged or, you know, as a business owner, 
you kind of play the cards a little closer to the vest because I've seen that, right? It, it's the other side of that. And I think it's good advice for, for bankers. And, and in particular, I'm thinking about young bankers coming into the industry to go out there and make sure every day they're, they're building those relationships around trust and, and around what that business owner needs as well, because that's what lends itself. There's just nothing better than having a board with your attorney, your accountant, your bankers, your trusted advisors, where you can lay out everything, challenges and opportunities, um, and bring together those resources. So I really like that point, Mark. Also, it's a two-way street here. The, the, the banker has to demonstrate to the entrepreneur, to the business owner, that they can get things done, that they follow through, that they they uh, provide them uh, information about new opportunities, new products, new services. They re- they respond quickly. They return phone calls. They're in their offices when they need to be. I mean, it's definitely a two-way street, and it's a banker's obligation to demonstrate to the customer, hey, I can do this, and the customer has a free will, and if they don't believe their banker's doing what they should be doing, they need to go find another banker. Uh, I, I do believe that. I, I think it is a, absolutely a, uh, on responsibility of the banker to to demonstrate that. Otherwise, they don't have the trust of the client. And and I think that's why I'm a fan of the community banks. Not to say that the bigger banks don't have their their positives, but I, in my experience, you're you're more apt to find that kind of banking relationship more local, regional, whatever you want to call it. So um, I appreciate you sharing that, Mark. Let's shift a little bit because you've recently retired from banking. And, you know, the the title of my podcast is The Over 50 Entrepreneur. And it's, it's much talking with entrepreneurs at any age, but it's also highlighting what I like to call second half entrepreneurs because we see a growing field of entrepreneurs coming out of corporate environments, for example, to go do other things that are interesting to them. And you're doing some different things these days. Um, what can you tell us about that? Well, you're, you're right. After, after 42 years, you know, when we, when we transitioned um, Southwest Bank Corp into the Simmons organization, I felt it was my responsibility to help facilitate that transaction in the best way that I could and to make it the best for the employees and the customers and like. And so for a couple of years after we completed the merger, I remained on with the company and uh, I did uh, what I think was a really good job for them and, and helped them through the transition. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I really felt like it was time for me to do something different. Um, and I still appreciate the banking world and still uh, love what bankers do but for me, it was time to kind of do something different. I've, I've seen so many successful business people uh, do things, and it was just time for me to uh, move in a little bit different direction. So I've um, uh, taken up an office with a group of individuals that I respect and a great deal that are all doing a little bit different things and come out of different environments, uh, a little, I, I, maybe a little bit of a think tank, uh, so that I can be around some people that have been in business, they've been entrepreneurs, they've done some different things, but they're, they're all kind of also doing some of the same things that I'm doing and that they've left other, other careers or other opportunities to do things they're doing today. And I, I think that it's critically important that I continue to learn and that I continue to be involved in the community. 
Uh, I've spent my whole life uh, in some way or another, and particularly in the Oklahoma City market area, involved in a lot of nonprofits. I want to continue to uh, do that and participate where I can. I led and was uh, chairman of the state chamber uh, a year ago, and I want to stay involved in organizations like that because I think they do great things for the state. But um, for, for me, uh, I want to stay a little bit involved in the banking business. I'm in, involved in looking at a couple of opportunities now. Um, there's a lot of institutional investors that are involved in the banking business where they're investors in banks. And I'm, I'm talking to a group there that, that may be an opportunity for uh, me to stay hooked in a little bit with the banking world, but from a different level, from a 30,000-foot level, looking at the organizations that I might want to invest in or uh, uh, be an advocate for or uh, an advisor to. So I'm looking at some of those those opportunities. But for me right now, it's a matter of sitting back and, and sort of assessing uh, my skill set, what I can do, and what uh, opportunities exist in the market. I'm going to certainly stay in Oklahoma City. I, I think Oklahoma City is a wonderful spot, but uh, it's also uh, pretty central. You can get to a lot of places from Oklahoma City very easily. So probably some real estate opportunities, probably some banking opportunities, uh, just some general investment. But the thing that I felt was important was that, that I have an office and I'm going to that, and I'm around other people that uh, have similar um, desires that I do to be successful and find entrepreneurial opportunities. So that's what I'm going to be doing over the course of the next few years. And uh, hopefully I'll be like some of your other podcast guys. I'll become a rich entrepreneur someday, like some <laughs> of the folks you've been interviewing. Well, you know, it begs the question that I get asked a lot. And, you know, it took me some time to really fully probably answer the question correctly. But I get people all the time that, that say, hey, w- especially when you want to try to do new ventures, th- hey, why do, you, why do you want to do that? You've already got success, right? And, and I think what's interesting, the way I, I used to answer it was all over the place because I really hadn't given it thought. But the reality is you, you keep growing, you keep learning, keep challenging yourself. That's, that's where the fun is. And that's, that's kind of what I hear you saying on this next chapter is put yourself around smart people who are trying to be successful. You're going to learn. You're going to be challenged. Um, and by the way, that keeps you active, which is so incredibly important as we get towards the second half of our life, we'll say. So I appreciate yeah, that. I've got, I, I've got myself involved with a couple of organizations that are um, uh, of, of guys of similar age bracket that have run or managed or owned businesses in the past. And uh, now they're not doing that right now, but they're doing some other things. So uh, I think the more you can associate with and be around people that are smart, I think, I think about uh, people that sort of were, were role models for me, one of which was my father, you know, he never quit working. And um, he, um, even he was a dentist and even though he sold his practice, he continued to work two or three days a week just because he loved it. And he wanted to stay close to his patients and that sort of thing. And I saw him, he worked forever. In the same way with my, uh, my wife's father, who just has continued to work into his 90s. So uh, I think once you quit working, once you quit learning, you kind of throwing it back. And, and uh, I don't think that's where I want to be for sure. 
Well, totally understand. You know, Mark, we're coming to the end of the show, and I can't tell you how grateful I am that you took the time to to join us today. And, you know, you, you talked about a lot of the community stuff that you do. We really didn't get to go deep in that, but I do appreciate that. Very important for us to be active in the community as well uh, as entrepreneurs and leaders. Wondering if there's any advice as we leave, any advice for entrepreneurs that, that you would like to share as we kind of wrap up the show today? Well, you know, you just you brought that up a little bit, and I think that it's critically important, particularly now. You get so wrapped up in your business on a day-to-day basis, you forget about a lot of other things that are going on around you that are, that are really important. And I think about the many nonprofits that are struggling right now uh, in, in a variety of different areas, whether it's in the arts or uh, healthcare areas or um, serving mankind in a different in a variety of different ways, and to the extent that that uh, any anybody can take a little bit of time out of their day to give back to their community in some some form or fashion, I think that's really important. Um, we we got we're struggling a little bit right now. We're actually struggling a lot right now with many things, but uh, to the extent that you know, as time goes on, if you can give back a little bit somewhere in your community. Uh, to help out, I think that's uh, I think that's really important and very rewarding and beneficial not only to you but to your business. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, we we've come to the end of the show, and guys, I, I'll just say this: if if you want to get show notes uh, from today's episode, be sure to check out our website at www.epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. You get that and visit the website while you're there. Let us know what you think about the show. Uh, be sure to give it a rating if you check us out on iTunes or or anywhere where you can find your favorite podcast. We've been visiting with Mark Funky today and this is the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. I appreciate you and until next time, remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started. <laughs>